idea for all this really came from a dream? Yes, it did. Good evening and welcome to Knox Mente. Tonight's guest is B.B. Tinsley. B.B. Tinsley was born and raised in Chicago during the 50s and 60s. According to her, the attempt by my parents and educators to turn me into a model of ladylike citizenry failed utterly. Her exasperated parents had the wisdom to enroll her in an acting workshop at age six, and she spent over 50 years exploring the craft and art of acting, mostly in the theater. Coming of age in the 60s brought with it colorful adventures with marvelous people. At age 14, she was introduced to the Kabbalah, and that led her to her first true deep esoteric pursuit via the studying the Vedas, Blavatsky, Eliphas Levi, and other luminaries were added to her list. She has pursued the path of self-inquiry since that time many years ago. On August 16, 1987, then a wife and mother of toddler daughters, Bibi awakened to the cacophony of several hundred crows outside her bedroom window, as well as on the roof of her house, and she's been learning her, their language ever since. Uh, she later learned that, that that day, those days were known as the Harmonic Convergence. She lives atop us, a little mountain above downtown Los Angeles with her partner Tom, their three dogs. In 2011, she began to transition out of her acting career, and now you'll find her practicing exploring geomancy, crystal scrying, qigong, macro photography, writing, and storytelling. Bibi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you both. It's, uh, it's very exciting, fun to be here. Yes. I'm thrilled to have you on, Bibi. It's <laughs> like, like, you know, it's, it's, all, it's been in the works. Somehow it didn't happen, and here it is now. You're definitely <laughs> a friend of Nox Mente, and I consider you magical on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I'll take that definitely, and I'm definitely a friend of this show. Such a wonderful show. Well, thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're a great promoter of it. I I can't thank you enough for always promoting the show, always being so hundred percent with us here. I forgot the Facebook. Uh oh. I'm doing it now. Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get. I hate Facebook. I'm sorry. Yeah, I do too. I'm, I'm not. I on. do too. You can leave We're it out. <laughs> down with Facebook. <laughs> down with Facebook. Right. If I only had a so milkshake that big. <laughs> and there are so many great new uh, social media platforms now that are way better. But let's get into the show. So. Bibi, take us back. Give us the pop cultural stuff that influenced you and all the stuff that kind of set you on this journey that really sticks out as a young, young Bibi way back. What sticks out? Okay. Um, getting knocked over by a huge Great Dane when I was about 18 months old was just, there was this sense of absolute joy and fun. And that contrasted with the adult being in dismay and disapproval and worried, all this anxiety, that kind of set me off a little bit. I couldn't, I couldn't connect the dots, you know? 
because th there was this joyful communion with this just great big animal, and we loved each other. And and this is a very very early memory because I, I know I was I was really young, very very young. So these are the kinds of experiences where I I would have in a reflection of myself from the world, like this joy. And then it would be mirrored back in a strange, twisted way. So I think I learned early on that something was not quite right with the picture. Um, now, your question, Nish, is, it's such a huge question. Can you give me something very, very specific to reply to? Because that would help. Yeah, so think back. Okay, so this that that's great and that that's a foundation to build on and these are the kinds of things. This is why we even go here with the early stuff. So we set up a foundation of symbols in which you work from and as we get into the dream conversation. Mm -hmm. So what kinds of like say media influenced you? Cartoons, movies, and and young young BB is, you know, mm -hmm. as early as you can recall. Okay, I was in love with Elvis. I mean, I really was in love with Elvis oh, and hi, Elvis. a clinker. You're, you're, you're just, you're, you're gonna really like pee your pants here. My aunt took me to see Elvis. I was about four years old. At the, he was at the Merchandise Mart in Chicago. So Jerry, you should know where that is. He was doing autographs and just, you know, milling about in the lobby. and. He held me in his arms. Somebody snapped a picture. We had that picture. My mother lost it when I was about 12 years old. But I was in love with Elvis. I loved the music. I loved rock and roll. I used to dance around and sing, um, what's that? The, uh, the purple polka dot, the, I can't oh, even the remember. Purple, the polka dot bikini one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see the bikini? Yeah, cartoons freaked me out. I did not like cartoons. They, they kind of, I won't say they gave me nightmares because I don't know if they did, but there was a, a sense that I had, I, I did not like, I, I was not a cartoon at what all. Do you, what do you think freaked you out about cartoons though, looking back now? I probably knew in my heart of hearts that this was an entry into beings of the other world mm -hmm. that were just on the other side i'm uh, you know i'm speaking off the top of my head right now but as i was telling you that there is this sense of seeing other the others in the cartoon characters and they're, they're you know when i was a little girl i don't know how much it's changed but the bugs bunny and all of those guys it was really violent my brother loved him. I yeah. I didn't like him. I didn't like playing with dolls either. Oh no, dolls! Why? What was the reason for not liking dolls? I just plain didn't like them. I mean, I there was just I gravitated to pretend. Mm -hmm. I would put myself in a different situation, so it was it was more playing with the imagination always. I mean, you know, from a really really early age. And yeah. if I had friends over, it was all the more, you know, all the merrier. I'd boss them around and I make them do what I say. 
<laughs> but <laughs> yeah, the director. What's your life path number? Do you know in numerology? One. I was going to say you sound like a one. I'm a one too. So yeah. it's like the bossy thing. I totally get it. It gets it's like a the little type, old type A personality. Yeah. Well, I've. I mean, at this point, we we learn we learn these things about ourselves and are able to. I'm a seven. To. That's a good one. Yeah, seven's great. Mm-hmm. So on, so with the note with the imaginary realm in, in this, as a young BB, what kinds of things build up your imaginary kingdom or queendom? The first thing that comes to mind are colors. Fabrics, silky fabric, levitation, lifting off the ground. So it's like I do have a memory of levitating when I was really young. I remember flying. Now, this could be remembering dreams. But honestly, guys, I do know the sensation of being in this waking life, putting my arms out. And willing myself up off the ground is a real wee one. So this is probably something that I, I, I use the imagination for. And I did it so intently that I created that feeling. So even though if you were to look at little Bibi back then, she would still be on the ground in my imagination, in my reality, in, my, in, in the world I was creating for myself. I was literally off the ground. I'm not, I'm not surprised by this. I have, as a very young person too, had some, some experiences like that, that I keep, I hold close to the vest because I'm trying to find others that have too. Mm -hmm. And so this is, you know me, BB, I'm there with all this. So Mm -hmm. I can I understand why some people just view these things as impossible and I think that that's limiting. Even just to even think that it's impossible is is limiting and therefore it is impossible, right? Oh, absolutely. So, okay, so in your imaginary realm, let's let's also get into like location. Where were you born and did you have a relationship with nature? Okay. I was born in Chicago. Uh, For the first eight weeks of my life, I lived in a, I guess you could call it an orphanage. It was a very nice facility where young ladies (laughs) uh, gave up their children for adoption to good families, et cetera, et cetera. So that definitely had an effect on me, as you can imagine. But I was finally adopted by Eddie and Shirley Lewison. Great folks, great people. Grew up in the south side of Chicago in Hyde Park near the University of Chicago, the Museum of Science and Industry, uh, right on the boulevard. So the sound of the CTA bus barreling down is one of my earliest sound memories. And what, what was the rest of the, what was the next part of the question, Nish? Re- uh, your relationship with nature. Oh, my relationship with nature. I 
was very aware of light and how the inside indoors light, even if it looked the same, was very different from how it felt to the outside light. And there was this symphony between the light and the sound of vegetation and people sounds. I loved being outside. I loved the air. I loved the movement of the air. I didn't like so much playing outside in the snow in the wintertime. But when I was four years old, my dad bought a house on, it's, it's 30 miles as the crow flies across Lake Michigan in uh, Dunes country, a place called Michigan City, Indiana. And uh, God bless him for doing that because I was outside all the time. The beach and the long grassy weeds down to the beach. I lived there in the summertime. And, you know, I'm trying, my relationship with nature had a great deal to do with my developing my imagination and eventually becoming an actor, wanting to do that because it was the most freedom I could possibly experience for me. And this is where I felt powerful and confident and happy, if that makes any sense. Well, yeah, of course it does. In, in this period, in this early period, so, okay, you're adopted, which is fascinating. And I, I think we've only talked to maybe a couple of people that said that, which is interesting. Do you recall, how old were you when you were adopted? Eight weeks, but I oh, my, so my birth mother, yeah, my birth mother gave me up at three days old. That's really early. So I imagine you probably don't have any conscious memory of, of You'd that. You'd be surprised. Do you? This is just bizarre, you guys. Now, if you had asked me, say, three years ago, uh, this is a memory that came up as I was doing some really deep inner work a couple of years ago. And, you know, uh, it's a sensory memory of being in a crib and looking up and seeing light and being afraid. And I saw myself folding in on myself like a piece of Japanese origami to protect myself from being found out. So this is something that it, it it's like, I do, I have this image of this very antiseptic, brightly lit room that was circular. And I don't know if this is the case. It was at the cradle in Evanston, which is a very well-known place. It still is um, for babies to be placed for adoption. I see it. It was a uh, very uh, shiny, lots of tiles and metal and there were all these nurses who would go around and you'd look through glass down at the at the bassinets the cribs so this is something i'm working on because i don't know where that's coming from i don't really need to figure it out other than the fact that it's a very very tangible specific visualization that is with me now 
I, this is one of the things I like about memory and why I'm always trying to get at earliest memory. There's a, I don't think I've ever said this on the show. So whereas I'm always saying, what's the difference dream? You know, I mean, we have photos and all this, but the earliest memories are where I, th I think as far back as we can go, if we can keep pushing. So the earliest memory we have, if we push into it, I think that opens up pathways in the brain. I think this opens up gateways to pushing back further. And uh, it's a great mental exercise, no matter what. But I think there's more to it spiritually. And I'm right with you on that yeah, one. Yeah, I figured you would. And so pushing into this memory and, and, and actually wanting, wanting to see, see further is something I'm interested in. So you saying that, especially and specifically as someone as a baby that was adopted out. So there's no matter what, I feel that there's going to be a, a loss because your mother that you were inside of for nine months, right? You're connected to on a very um, basic level, cellular level, spiritual energy, every level you know that it's all there and there are studies i mean we of abandonment issues with children that do not didn't not know they were adopted until later in life and had abandonment issues grew up with great families loving families and then came out came out to find that they were adopted like you very very young and it all started to click. So where do you think it will go the deeper you push into this memory? How do you see that unlocking in an esoteric way? It goes into the deep past. It goes into the, the tree roots of the DNA itself. It goes into the ancestors. It goes into the... The stuff that this body was given in order to play around here now. And it's very interesting because actually, I, I'm not sure what I was going to say at, <laughs> at that point. It is, I mean, it's all very interesting. What strikes me about it is the connection between my wanting to know more and you know i'm a i'm a, like this amazing hypnotic subject which is why i have purposefully not sought out any kind of regressive therapy to go into all kinds of like anomalous things that have happened in my life i i feel more confident doing it my own not that it's not a good thing to do but i i trust myself so this is what's interesting to me. Our own sense of our own roots, the root system, the root system of the blood vessels, the DNA, there are all these trees and vines and leaves and all of this imagery and going down into the earth and into the soil and the smells that come with it and, and the, the elements and touching the idea of the mythologies that have come to us 
And there's certain mythologies that I always resonated with and some that I just didn't make any sense to me. And what I touch as I pursue this path of going into the earth, this is where it takes me. This is where that memory, that visual takes me going through my body into the vessels of the tree of the DNA and spiraling around and down takes me into this feeling of being somewhere else. It's also here. It's, like, it, it's not the past. It exists here, but it's, it's in the ground. For me, it's not a scary place at all. It's really beautiful. Just so you know, I have a lot of stuff with uh, Pluto in the eighth house. So I really, um, I love contemplating death, but not in the way that most people think. I think death is this just beautiful mystery and it's gotten a real bad rap around here. Yeah, definitely in the Western world where, yeah. it, you know, it's been intentionally removed from us. And, and, and that's all part of the social engineering. I wanted to talk about, so while we're on the subject, you mentioned mythology. And so pushing back into this early period, what was the mythologies that were coming up for you as a young kid? Now, I happen to know that you ended up finding out you have Sami blood. Mm-hmm. So immediately, my mind, and as I found out, I do do as well. I thought it was just straight up Norwegian. And uh, so I'm interested to know what mythologies at this young period were popping up for you. Okay, well, here's the deal. As wonderful as my parents were, they were old world, and they were um, from very conservative Jewish families. So it was not allowed that I could be anything other than what they were. They, could, they couldn't deal with it. And I did love the, the, uh, the stories of the women in the Bible, Rachel and Deborah and um, Naomi and, her, and the story of Ruth. God, I love the story. I love yeah, Ruth too. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I will go, your people shall be my people. This, I, I'm sure it moved me when I was really little because it, it, it was kind of the story of my life. And so there was that ancient Hebrew aspect. But it, then when I was in school, I, I was very fascinated with looking at what I could find in the library about prehistoric humans. I was really, really, I was obsessed, fascinated by this. The, the, there were a couple of pictures of Neanderthal people and their death rites, and they looked so beautiful to me. And from there, I started learning about English history and Druidic history. Uh, I, actually, I was blessed. I went to a great school. I went to, I, I didn't do well there because I, have ADT, but I, I did do well in my own sense. It was successful for me. It was part of the University of Chicago. It was a laboratory school. And the amount of um, resources this place had was wonderful. So I, I, was, 
I was rich in that as I was growing up. And so, you know, when I was in second, third, and fourth grade, I started learning about Celtic people and people who had who painted their skin blue back in the day. In, oh, the in pics, Glen. yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it was then early on, I really developed a fascination for these, um, the Celt and the Druids. And I loved ancient Egypt. When did I start learning about Atlantis? I had a wacky aunt who I really loved and she championed me and she would get me um, adventure books written for young adults when I was like eight years old. <laughs> and she thought, it was great because I, uh, there was this one um, beautiful tragic love story with a heroine by the name of Teo, and she was supposed to have been a sacrificial victim in uh, the ancient Maya the culture. And one of the ball players uh, fell in love with her, and he rescued her, and they ran off. So this is where I was going when I was really little. I loved this stuff. And all of the um, Frank L. Baum books, oh, when yes. I was in third grade, <laughs> I would pull all-nighters. You know, I, I would I would pretend to be asleep, but I would stay up all night working my way through all of these just classic fantasy stuff. And I've forgotten your question. Well, I'm trying to connect in, and, and you're a great example because you're adopted, genetic right. memory right. to the mythologies that you, because you were raised basically Jewish. So genetic memory... You see where I'm going with this, Biebs? Yes, I do. Uh, yeah, thank you. I, I'd forgotten about that. Um, yes, I, I can actually, I could draw a graph of my progression of learning about myself. One thing that that school did, it wasn't that I was that smart. They just put uh, seventh and eighth grade together. So I was 16 when I graduated high school. And I was young when I left my parents' home. And I jumped in big time in, in the 60s. This was, as you can imagine. And I recall doing, um, it might have been LSD. And I was with a young man who I later, I actually eloped with him. I started speaking a language that came very easily. It wasn't French. It was more like this Germanic guttural language. And we were both delighted. And I had this sense of myself in a different time and a different culture with um, Germanic tribes all around me. And this fascinated me. I was all of 18 years old. So, I, you know, it was at that point that I still didn't know. I did not know what I was. There was this huge taboo in my family about um, doing any kind of investigation. It's really too bad. They were very, um, it's not, they were, they wanted me all for themselves. It was, it came from a place of absolute love. But it, it took me a long time to discover that I am 
actually, I've got a lot of Scots, a lot of Celt. I've got the Sami. And the Jewish part is less than all of the, the Celtic and the, you know, the Sami is a small part, but it's definitely there. And I had been fascinated with my first husband, Kirk. I became obsessed with the Highlands of Scotland. And when I found out that my birth father had been a Scotsman, it, it was like, imagine the most wonderful epic movie music, you know, making a, a point in a, um, a climax, a, a punctuation. The movement is going to change now in this person's life. I was fulfilled. It was profound. I wept. And this was affirmation for me that, um, I mean, let me just go back. When Kirk and I were talking about Scotland, and I was 18 and 19 years old, I didn't find out about my actual Scottish blood until I was in my 50s. So a long time passed. And this is kind of a recent, a recent development. No. Yeah, I, I did have my DNA thing done. I'm really glad I did. It's made a big difference. But it's not like it was all new. It was an affirmation for things that I have discovered and sensed about myself throughout my life. Yes. And, and that's why it's a great, it's another great case study on genetic memory because you were raised completely with that stuff devoid. When, and so just to wrap this section up, uh, when did you find out you were adopted? How old were you? They told me from the get-go. Oh, because you, you know, they could have played it off. You were so young when they adopted you, eight weeks or something. They went by the book. And what psychologists said at that time when I was born, that it was um, the thing to do was to tell the child right away. And I remember getting up in the middle of the night and going into their bedroom and crawling into bed and saying, tell me about the day you got me again. Mm. I love that story. I really mm. did. Did you have, when you found out, or, you know, did you ever have a sense of sorrow or? Oh, God. Okay, this is really interesting, Nish, Jerry. I think you'll find this interesting. One of my earliest memories is of probably when I had moved to a big bed from a crib, lying in bed not knowing what I was feeling was actual sadness. It took me the later years to understand that but the most profound, intense feeling. Now, I thought everybody was supposed to feel that way before they went to bed. You know how kids do. That everybody had this feeling. But it was, it was absolute profound sadness. It was a, a grief of, of, um, almost indescribable proportion for such a little body. So that's what I, I had. And I, I didn't know. And of course, they were clueless, my parents. I had nobody to explain that that was normal. That would have been cool. Yeah. yeah. 
Did, okay, and so also just on this bare root stuff, I happen to know you're naturally a ginger because I've seen your hot go photos. <laughs> you're a hot thing going on. And uh, do you know, are you RH negative? No, I'm not. Okay, but because by all appearance you did, uh, you know, I'm like, hmm, she's ginger. She's got, you know, she's far out. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many clues <laughs> um okay and then also so we know obviously you were raised jewish so that's another backbone in in the story arc of you so let's move on to what was your dream so this is young bb and this can just be we'll just keep it and say like the first third of your life what was your relationship with dreaming what did you think of it were you a dreamer? How did the landscape look? I loved my dreams. I, I loved my dreams so much that sometimes I would wake up, I would be thirsty, and I figured out a way, or it was natural. I'm not sure of the process, but I would go back if I was having a fabulous dream. It's usually flying around, around the treetops, with a bright moon out. I would be able to go back into that dream. So I loved, I loved my dreams. And I would also have dreams where my friends would show up. And it was, it was, you know, there's this feeling also that that hypnagogic state and that sense of, um, being both within the dream and not in the dream. And I remember feeling that as a really, really early child. And I later learned that many um, people who are on an Eastern spiritual path, I mean, the great traditions in the, the Shaivite path, there's a word called Jivan Mukta. And it is, uh, it loosely translate as one who is awake within the dream. And I remember reading that for the first time and knowing exactly what it meant. And when I was a late teenager and into my early 20s, when I was doing a lot of psychedelic splorin and spelunkin, I would touch into that state. But it, it, was, it was just a reminder that, whoa, I remember this from when I was really little. So this is this is very important to me, actually regaining that sense. And I also imagine, well, getting back to your question, let me go back to your question of what were these dreams like? What was my dream life like? It was about being in that state and carrying it over into waking up. And having that kind of drift away as I got older. So this you is said, to me. This so you mentioned so in the early stuff you were flying about, and do you remember the first time you flew? Well, it's very possible that I had a dream where my actual birth mother was flying with me. Oh. Do you remember that dream? 
she also had red hair. And I, I, I know this because I recently I've, I saw her picture for the first time last year, believe it or not. Oh, wow. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I see her, the, the beautiful young adult with this flowing long red hair and me, the little kiddo. Both of us in flowy fabric doing these um, more like swimming through the, this gorgeous liquid that was shiny. Mm. That's really wonderful feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but beyond that, I really can't, I don't know. Mm. And so also just in your early life, so you were Miss Flyer and okay. Dynamic of flying. How did you fly? What was in the early you? Were you Superman kind of flyer? Were you flapping your wings kind of flyer? Were you a floater? I started out, I believe, by willing my body upward. And sometimes I do remember dreams where I would find myself levitating and then realizing that, oh, I'm not attached to the ground. And <laughs> I would use my arms i mean i'm doing it now as i'm trying to remember <laughs> this you know moving the limbs and getting the feel of how to make yourself go up and down and sideways and turning somersaults was a big thing yes. and when i was really little and i spent all that time in lake michigan growing up i would do the same thing in the water it well this is an interesting dynamic there's for me, there's not a lot of difference between, say, outer space here and inner space and water. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. So you also mentioned in the early dreams, you would have friends show up. I am I think that's provocative. It, I don't hear that a lot. And so do you think that did they did it a feel did it feel or appear as if this was a part of your own personality or did they feel as if they were your friends you know and you were meeting in dream time these are my friends meeting in dream time <laughs> as you're saying that i'm laughing because my dreams are very social i am a so i love throwing parties mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I I have parties in my dreams. I mean, I I say in dream time, come on over. And oh, and this is usually the case. Yes, I like I like to entertain <laughs> in my dreams. But I I like to Would see you consider yourself Would you consider yourself an extrovert? In some ways I am. In some ways I I most assuredly am. In other ways, no. So it's not as cut and dry. Depends okay. on my mood. Well, it can be, you know, a lot of people land right there in the mid-range. And so, and it's a sliding scale no matter what. What anyone says, it's all sliding scale. So, and then, so I gather from these descriptions, I immediately just think you saw you were having vivid colors and not black and white. I don't know what it is to dream in black and white. I've always dreamt in color. I, I, I hear people say that they've never dreamt in color. Honestly, it confuses me. I don't know what to make of that. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand it truly. 
No, very, very colorful, always. Does it appear as the world appears to you in the outer world, your dreams? What's the difference? I think it depends on the dream, Nish. It really depends on the dream. I've had dreams that are definitely not earthly whatsoever. And then dreams where it's it's just as normal as can be until I suddenly realizing that my dead grandparents are calling me inside to have dinner and nothing else, you know, there's nothing untoward about it or, or different from everyday waking so-called reality. So I, it, it depends, but I've had across the board. It depends on the dream. Did Okay. So Let's look at, I want to look at, I want to talk about the dead, of course, you know, it's my, my favorite subject. Uh, lucidity. So I gather from, from what you've given me already, and then the way you push back on these early memories. And as, of course, you, you listen to the show, so you understand at least where I'm coming from with lucidity, it's mm -hmm. a scale. And where do you find yourself? in there are what's the difference for you within the dreamscape between the unfiling dreams and lucidity and and even obes do you get obe where are you on this lucidity scale i have had many lucid dreams that have happened spontaneously where i realize that i am dreaming now, this is very interesting because I did, this started happening when I was in my 20s, I think. As I began to investigate and find out more about what is known as quote unquote lucid dreaming, it, it became harder for me to wake up in a dream because I, I for whatever reason, I wouldn't even go there or try to figure that out. It still happens, but it's a spontaneous thing and there are times when i will spontaneously become aware that i really am dreaming and i'll think i've got to try something and then something about my imagination in my dream i'm aware of my imagination jumping ahead and i'm thinking in my dream oh i wish i wouldn't do that and then freaking myself out <laughs> waking up So the, lucidity is fascinating because I think that there are, sometimes Sanskrit does it like nothing else. There are siddhis, and, and you would spell it S-I-D-D-H-I, it powers that are in all these different states. And I'm fascinated with that, and I've experienced little inklings, as I've said. But it's more the feeling of being in a dream while I'm in the everyday waking world, which really is something I, 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 it, it, that is important to me. It's more that, that bringing my dreams here more than bringing here to my dreams. 
I just said that for the first time to myself. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That's, I find that quite interesting. So the idea, and you talked about this earlier, waking within the dream, and that's it's something I'm always talking about. And we understand, those of us digging around, understand that this inward, outward situation as above, so below, as within, so without, it's connected and it, there's a bridge. And it's also said that your dream state is your constructive area, you know, your, <clears throat> your Lego kit, if you will. You build your dreams there and you, you bring them into the physical with your will. You build the thought form, <clears throat> you know, in that space and you, you pull it into physicality by your will. Yes. Yes. Time. There's Absolutely. definitely something yeah. to that. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what, what I'm saying too, is that it's that connected to me that, so if you're awakening within the dream, that just the thought form alone carries into your outer world. And so you're awakening within your outer world experience. So becoming lucid in the outer world, which I think we're, we try to agree that this is right now. <laughs> I think there's so many layers, but it's the one that that our I don't want to say soul, but whatever you know your your spirit. It's the one is focused on out of all of them. I think that's how it works. Where your attention point is is this uh, done one, or we could be pinned here. It's either way. True. Well, you mentioned Don Juan and Carlos Castaneda. I'm, I've always been deeply moved by all of that material. Mm -hmm. And I recall, uh, this was actually, this was a bone of contention with a very long-term friend of mine who, who, so at some point, I guess, he got debunked, right? And they said, this was all just rubbish. And so then a lot of people picked up that story for themselves and just decided because the idea that all this stuff, the Don Juan stuff was rubbish, it had no meaning. Well, I call bollocks to that because Good. it's incredibly significant. And the deeper one gets into these waters, the more relevant it becomes, the more these techniques that are uh, unfold in the in the in the books are relevant if you're working them and trying them so i don't care how he came about this information this is solid stuff i agree in my opinion and this is all of that are tools that i think people should have in their tool chest to work with and so this is not wasted time uh reading reading those books and putting those principles in play. Whereas none of it is, none of this is, these talks, these discussions about dreaming and where I like to go, which is what you've just brought up. We need to have more, in my opinion, we need to have more of these conversations about waking up within the outer world, within life, because it's easy to, 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 you know, in a way, bilocate, like it's 
it's almost fluffy the idea of waking up within a dream right it's more solid for some reason if we talk about it in terms of our waking life <laughs> uh, yes 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 and as you're you're talking what occurs to me is that in my experience and why this is so important to me I'm I'm bridging these worlds that I experience within myself. So it's not an either or situation with these very, very black and white demarcations between them. There is this flow of different experiences from different realities that I I want to be aware of here now. And it's it's it, I think the word I'm going to use the word expanding my awareness so that I can experience more of my attention point, as we referred to it earlier, Jerry, more have my attention point in, in a greater repertoire of, of um, realities. This is where language gets really tricky. Words are hard. Worlds. Worlds. Different Realm. worlds. Realms. Realms. Locas. <laughs> oh, look at your cat. She likes to listen to the show. So uh, the thing that struck me when you were talking about Castaneda was that he seemed like a shaman, but Anglo-Saxon or whatever he was. You know, he's not a Peruvian witch doctor. He was... He had the knowledge of a shaman to some degree and was able to convey that in, uh, in, in novel form. I loved, I loved those books. And, and I first started reading them in the 70s when I was living in Tucson. And Don Juan was um, a Sonoran uh, shaman. And what I loved about what Castaneda did, he, he, kept taking pot shots at himself in a way that he pointed to how Don Juan would find it absolutely hilarious. He would like lose himself laughing over how stupid he Castaneda was. And that really endeared me to it. But it was the feeling, guys, the feeling. I would be catapulted into that, that other world feeling. It, it's so difficult to describe, but it's, it's just the dream world coming here. And this is what Castaneda provided me in those books. And the wisdom is really profound stuff that has stuck with me forever. Yeah, I, I highly suggest them. I just think whatever, whatever he did and however he got the information is, is so valuable. And the fact that out because they you know there was this whole debunking you know campaign on him and, and this is this also talks to the idea of debunking and i get mm -hmm. i get where we need to be solid and and reasonable and all that to hold down this gravity of a of an experience we're having and we need to maintain and all this stuff however i think coming from it you know, so the people that threw out the Don Juan stuff because they all, you know, they thought it was real. They 
they subscribe to it and then they're told, you know, it's debunked and then it's ha ha and then they throw it out. This did no service. What it did do though was the people like us who are deeply affected by this information that came through in the same way Edgar Casey got his information, these same people will subscribe to Casey and not Don Juan or Dion Fortune. You know, this is this is a big Robert deal. Robert Monroe. Robert Monroe. I mean, we could go on. And this is a big deal in the idea of dreaming and memory. This is all very, very watery material to sink our chops into because we don't know really what reality is. We have a bunch of theories, right? I mean, aren't we just always functioning on theoretical physics? <laughs> It's what, yes, we are. And we're, people are so close-minded. It's very immature, in my view. It's almost an elementary school attitude where you're given a set of rules in order to experience your studies. And if you stray beyond those boundaries, well, that's not right. No, you can't do that. It's just, it's very childish. And we need to mature. And part of that maturation is understanding that holding a paradox is the only way to allow yourself to get beyond these ideas of either or or the boundaries, that both things can have their, a reality that is valid, even if they completely negate each other and cancel each other out. So this idea that, oh, well, he's been debunked. So I, that's, it's not fashionable anymore. I can't be seen reading him anymore. That there's this idea of um, um, groupthink. It's very terrible. I really yeah. hate that. I grew up with that. You know, it's, it's a terrible thing. Let's well, get beyond. We're, <laughs> we're swimming in it. I mean, that's, yeah. that's why. The, you know, that's part of what's holding down this this construct in a way. Right. So moving into into these areas, though. So when when you're lucid within the dreamscape, and uh, you know, I'm also wondering, did you do you use some of those principles? You know how the way he stalked in the dream, the the walking position, and all the tools. Uh, to get lucid and all that, do you use those within in dream time? What well, methods do you use to become to push the dream further into a deeper awareness? I don't use a method, and the few times that I've actually pursued "quote unquote" lucid dreaming, I, I feel that there's this. Um, a net goes over everything where I become restricted. And I do, I do have a lot of spontaneous awakenings, but I need to get to a point where I, I want to feel not held back by the discipline of practicing something what, you know, similar to lucid dreaming. Now, what happens when I do become aware that I'm dreaming, there is a sense of more often than not a deeper coloration, a sense of being connected 
do aspects of myself that are really deep and not from this life. And it feels great. I really love that. And that inspired me to pursue a little thing, not automatic writing, but a type of writing where I was getting in contact with those aspects of myself. Could you give us some examples of that? And that's definitely where I was going to go next was information from, from that realm. Okay. Well, I've shared before that um, I had cancer. This was in 2000. So during that time, right before it happened, I had a dream about this. I was in the summer house where I grew up and I was crawling out of the roof and I was pulling tiles off right and left, which is very, that's very symbolic, you know, just pulling the stuff off my head and climbing up on the roof and looking out and all around. There are these two women at ground level. And I'm looking around the land and it was like a, a huge glacier, which is not at all what, what that part of the country is like. There was some melting ice. And both of these women were standing off to the side. They were wearing walking shorts. One was very, obviously aspects of myself, I'm sure, but one was very uh, masculine looking. The other one was this, she was tall and she had really, really long golden hair, very muscular. And I was taken aback and I, I just looked at them and they started walking. And the one who was really tall with the long golden hair looked back behind her shoulder at me. And it was like, well, are you going to come? Or are you going to stay there? That was the dream. So fast forward about five, six months, I get this diagnosis. And that was another aspect of my life. But I started actively dreaming about this, the one tall woman. She told me her name. Her name was Swinna. And she would show me how to swim with the body of an Amazon who is all tattooed. Lots of, it's, it's really hard to put this into language, into English. Uh, but she came, I think she was part of why I survived. She's an aspect of myself. I do believe that, that this person was in a body that that was an aspect of me that I've experienced so very 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 close now, not a higher self as one thinks of aspects of a higher self just a very wise being the word entity soul self it all melds in together but she's um She's, she's around. She speaks to me a lot. I love her very much. And she loves me. And it's like, yeah, she's me. <laughs> so, so, so she still comes to you? Oh, yeah. It, oh, yeah. So this is, I want to back up a little bit. And, I, and this is something I had earmarked one, one that I wanted to bring to the table with you was the cancer stuff. 
and mm-hmm. how it uh, moved through your dreamscape. So you kind of introduced us to the pre before you knew, and how did your dreams play out through the process of of the your experience with it? You know, how dark did they get? What give us the narrative of moving through cancer and the treatment and your psychological stuff that may have been playing out in the dreams along with anything that was other in the dreams too. So all that. Okay. Well, it was an astonishing experience. I have been with Tom for 20 years. We met a month before I got the diagnosis. So I knew I had the choice. I, I just knew in my gut that I was going to do uh, surgery and chemo and radiation. But I also knew that I was going to do it my way. I didn't know what that meant. I wasn't sure, but I knew it was going to be my way. And right off the bat, I had a dream where I went to the back door. I was living in Evanston, same place where all the crows showed up. Later, no, I told you about the crows. That was 20 years previous to this in a different area. But there were also crows who showed up in Evanston. They'd been markers. And in the dream, right after getting the diagnosis, I go to the back door and there's this white dog it was a screen door. It was locked. And there's this tea party going on. And it was like one level underneath the ground. And it just was, oh, you could hear the, the glasses clinking and sounds of laughter and like fountain somewhere and, and just, you know, lovely, elegant party of people who love each other, having a wonderful, relaxing time. And this dog knew me and I knew him. I recognized him. It was all white. And I got to the point where I almost unlocked the door and something in me, I knew in my dream that I was being presented with the choice that if I opened the door and I walked into the tea party, I was going to die. I was choosing death right then and there. And my, it it wasn't even, I slammed the hard door shut. I said, no, I can't see you now. Did it die? I slammed it shut and I woke up like, <gasps> and it wasn't a nightmare, but it's like, whoa. So I really, I'm not going to die now. Nope. So that was really extraordinary. And there were dream things happening where I was, I'd be dreaming of my father who had died almost a year earlier. And Tom would have visits from him while I was dreaming about him. Tom, in waking life in the middle of the night, was having contact with my dead father while I was having dreams about my dead father. That was extraordinary. That's amazing. I know. That's amazing. So at this time, can you give us some, everything I hear about Tom, I just love him. Uh, Okay, so I do want to get more in the narrative, the arc of the cancer dreams, but I want to tie this in now with Tom. And since, you know, you're in this new relationship, 
and that ends up being a long-term one as we know now uh and you get diagnosed with cancer right at the beginning of it and now he's having dream experiences with your deceased grandfather or father father right and so was he also and so to me this is almost a form it's not quite dream sharing but it it's so tied in it's so close mm. it's so intimate did he have other was he dreaming with you throughout this process even via relatives or you know what's going on with him that he's sharing with you during this process that deals with dreams i'm trying to recall he's had extraordinary dreams of his own um deceased family members coming to him but during that time in particular I don't recall that we were actively sharing the dreams because it was, everything was very raw. I do recall that I had to find somebody to run the whole thing. In other words, a, an oncologist. I was given some names and it turns out that my old best, best, best friend from first grade was my oncologist and he had left when he had left Chicago when we were 14 and I was reunited with him and he and Tom had this special relationship and it felt like a dream to me I felt like I was in this circle of protection the synchronicity of my doctor being my my old best friend we adored each other in first grade and he came back and he put me in in a bunch of things that no other doctor would have and he heard me and he was like whoa <laughs> you go woman They're like that ain't supposed to happen and that ain't supposed to happen but you're bb and i get it <laughs> <laughs> that's great and yeah. that is that is uh you know for me synchronicity is so important and that's that's another powerhouse hit there so moving through the arc of cancer as you're moving through it did other significant dreams play out that you have a recall of now and and to start in was there ever a moment you actually had fear Oh, sure. You know, when I, when I had the fear, it was at the beginning. My biggest fear was I finally met someone that I could see partnering with. That was my biggest fear, that he would go away. Not only did he not go away, he held me in his arms during those chemo treatments. But yeah. um, there was a sense of red. Of vitality and blood, we an unspoken world. Now I haven't spoken to Tom about this, but I know I can just feel him. He might even be listening right now. This world of of life, how precious it is. He was making a film, and I ended up getting 
cast in a really tiny role in that film with him. So we did this for about six weeks. Might have been longer, but it, I would fly to California to be with him on the shoot and come back and get my chemo and then fly back to California. And I wore a wig. And I had this sense of, because Swinna was in my dreams. I mean, she was showing me how to swim. She was showing me how to flex my muscles, how to, how to ripple that life around. She really was a, a, a teacher back then. And I, I can't point to one specific, you know, I dream journaled so much during the 90s. And when I, during the cancer period, I don't think I was, I, I was just too caught up with the life to go back to journaling. I'm sorry that I, I, I stopped. I've, I've taken it up again, but I didn't, I didn't dream journal then. It, it was it's happening. All right. But that, see, this is also what's important to me and, and something I, uh, I find of value is, is when you, when you're able to recall a dream without having to resort to looking at your dream, I, of course, dream journaling is a very important thing to do. And it ta- it teaches us so much. It's all about that self-work. However, in conversations like this and just pulling up like cold, cold images that uh, there's something about the symbols that stick with us. So during, during the cancer period, Swin- is this when Swin was teaching you how to swim and all that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. That's amazing. And so when you were in the water, and she's teaching you how to swim. Do you have any memory of how that all went? What was the water like? Were there things, scary things in it? Uh, all that. There were scary things in it. And I, I, recall, I do recall, I don't know where this fell in the journey of the actual treatments, but it was sort of like maybe a third of the way through. It feels right. that. She wasn't there, and I was on a shoreline, and I knew that I was to dive into the, this vast ocean, and I did, and I had one of those experiences that I described as being aware of my imagination getting the better of me, and it did. I freaked myself out, but I didn't wake up, and Swinna was there. Suddenly, not saying anything, but there was this smile of, yes, this does happen. And the word circumspect, let's be circumspect. Let's dance away into the night. Let's be circumspect. Let's be careful. Let's be strong. Let's watch our P's and Q's, shall we? (laughs) I'm kind of like... Speaking mm-hmm. off the top, you know, but that's that's how she communicates. Yeah, that's incredible. At, at what point in the process here, uh, because th- this is this is why I find this so significant is we're all going to transition. We're always transitioning anyway, but we know that all roads lead to 
that transition. And I don't care if you live to be a thousand or 2000 years old, there is still a movement through the physical world into the non-physical of some sort that's, that's away from dreams. We're talking waking reality like this. Mm-hmm. And, and so all roads lead to it. And I'm wondering in this arc with Swinna, at what point did you realize, so we already know you, when you realized you were not going to die, when you didn't choose death, you didn't go into the tea party. It was early on. That was in the beginning. You made this choice at the very beginning, which is significant. Mm -hmm. So facing the idea so you'd already chose really how you were going to face this idea of greeting death mm-hmm. and then you have swinna walking you through these processes and teaching you to swim and uh all this great stuff and i i love the image of her too she sounds like a complete amazon warrior which is and yet Part of like what we found out later, you found out later, we found out tonight, your genetic history, which is, you know, Celtic, blonde, I think blonde and kind of Amazon-like, I think Celts really do. Mm-hmm. And so the, it, with a genetic connection, and this is significant because you were raised Jewish and none of that. So these, these deeper connections you have to yourself and the sense of self that comes through that is part of the trajectory that I think moves you through this space and the arc of moving through cancer, which is an immediate visceral confrontation with the unconscious, first of all, as you would say, and then secondly, what engages you with the deep unconscious where we see water is a great symbol for that is is death Mm -hmm. and and this is a very significant moment whether you're two years old or 90 or a thousand i said this is a significant moment because it takes your focus away from all all that's insignificant and so these dreams this idea of these dreams are important were you during that period encountering anyone you knew that had already passed oh yes sorry the dogs are um it's not a nox mente without an animal no (laughs) we love our animals (laughs) i think tom just threw them in and closed the door let me bear with me one second Jerry, let's scat together, baby. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Okay, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that question? Did you, during the arc of your cancer journey, encounter anyone that you knew had, had already passed? Yes. Yes, my father. My, my. Okay, uh, Tom. Uh, I'm actually 40. I guess. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. <laughs> we don't care. It's okay. Yeah, it's it's all good. This is uh, the fur family. 
Yes, we have a very family. Yes, my my dead relatives were all over the place. Particularly my grandmother who died when I was right before I turned 13. And my father, her son-in-law. All my adopted family. And your and it's your father who also came to Tom as well. Yes. Now he did. And this ties back with that sense of sadness that I was describing when I was really little. And I've tied that grief into the breast cancer. And there is, there have been studies done where women are found to have wounded relationships with their father more often than not with breast cancer. Now, I cannot give you details on that study, but it really struck a chord with me. And it makes sense. A lot of healing was done with my relationship with my father after he passed via, and this was breast cancer, via this breast cancer. A lot of amazing healing. And, and Tom helped in that. He was, he was called upon to uh, protect, to defend, to stand strong, et cetera, et cetera, by my father who came to him. So when, so give us some, I, I want to hear about the other, other past, which we would then call ancestors that came in and what the interactions were like. Well, my, my grandmother showed up and I've been having interactions with her. I also, I mean, not just in dream time since she, since she died, I, she, she'll show herself to me, but she's gone through so many changes. And by the time, so I was in my forties when I had the cancer, she was like one big mushroom. <laughs> That's what she looked like. Oh, my. <laughs> but she was like a chieftain of a whole universe, holding the powwow. That was the vibe. Wow. And there was like, I, that, I was, She was in that form during this specific yeah, time. When I had cancer. That's how she came. She came with mushroom. Um, she was no longer human or looked human, but I knew it was she. There was definitely a sense of the uh, mushroom entity world. That's incredible. And did she, so with these interactions of her in this higher form, what were the interactions like? Was she, was she speaking with you? What? What was going on? Yeah, now th there was one time where she definitely was speaking, and I remember uh, waking up after having that dream and and feeling the sort of the air resounding with, like God, I haven't heard that voice in so long. But she wasn't using her vocal cords; she was telepathically speaking in the voice that I remembered her speaking in it when she was a human being. But she was communicating with me. There was also this sense of being in a circle and smoking something like a pipe, but with, with others. 
there. It was dark at night. Did oh, that's so significant too. So, so jumping back, you know how I weave. I'm weaving everything. So jumping back to the interactions with your father during this period, what were those like with you and him? Before I met Tom, I was at the end stage of being in a guru-disciple relationship. The night my father died, almost a year previous to getting my diagnosis, I was at a retreat in California, funnily enough. I got the word, and there were several hundred people who ended up chanting and praying for my father to enter the um, celestial lokas with the great Siddha gurus. And I remember feeling guilty because <laughs> I wasn't so sure about that whole relationship. And he came to me, it was in my old guru's ashram. He was standing. As frail as he was when he died, he, he was very old and he'd been very ill. He was very frail, but he looked up. And he didn't say anything, but he communicated with his beautiful eyes that, yes, you did the right thing. Yes, this is good. So that was right before I got the diagnosis. And there's a connection there because he communicated to Tom. Time. So I don't know what all was involved, but th that's all connected. Yeah, it, it was. Of course, it's signif very significant. Who? So also during this period, others that had passed came to you. Trying to think, my grandfather. Um, I had the wildest. I did have wild dreams. Now these were not specific people that I remember from this life, but near the end, and I can mark this because I know the movie had, had already completed, and I was, I was then so tired of my wig, my head was completely bald, it was walking around Chicago completely bald, and it was so liberating. So I know this was near the end because I, I had people coming up to me that I never would have met before and they were wonderful. And I realized something about myself, just walking around fearlessly bald. And I felt, I felt beautiful. I felt yes. really, uh, it's one of the sexiest times of my life, believe it or not. The Vene Gesserit from Dune. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> the so, Reverend Mothers. I was just I listening was... to a podcast they were talking about doing in the Bene Gesserit. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. One of my favorite experiences reading that. So in this dream, I'm on this boat. Now, I did not know the people in the boat. It was, it was so real. It was so quiet. It was this pristine environment. It was a rowboat. The rower of the boat sat directly across from me. He was wearing sort of like a, a Middle Ages homespun robe with a kind of sort of like a monk, but not like a monk and a very lovely, plain, kind face. Wonderful face looking right at me. And in the dream, so I'm looking at him and I'm aware that we're, we're traveling across this. Uh, we're not, not across, we're traveling on 
a river and the banks are on either side. It's absolutely gorgeous. You can sense the uh, the air. It smelled wonderful. You hear the water lapping on the boat. You hear the oars going up and down. And then I'm aware that there's this other person sitting right next to me. I turned my head and I was startled because I saw a woman with, with almost midnight blue skin. And I recognized her sort of, she looked like a bikini. She was wearing a white sari. She had embedded jewels in her forehead. She had a ruby bindi between her eyes, but it was part of her, her, uh, her, it wasn't some, it, she, it was part of her. And it was this deadpan look. And she looked at me, I looked at her, we turned back, both looked at the man rowing the boat. I think of Michael, row the boat ashore. And I woke up. That was so significant. It was so amazing to me. Now, I don't know specific, I can't give you a sentence or two in English to say why that was so amazing. It was the experience that, that you had to be there. It was a completion. It was a bridge into going forward. But also, I had the sensation that I've been here so many times before. It was like I got to be on the boat that I always go to when I'm between lives. This was a graduation gift of choosing life that here you are, you can now remember what it's like. Wow, that gives me chills because, of course, being on the boat and cry, I mean, one thinks of the river Styx immediately and crossing over and all that is you know within that realm and i'm wondering also within that dream imagery what did the overall environment look like was it gray was it sunny it was a beautiful summer afternoon mm. it was there was a breeze that you could hear going through the vegetation on either side, there were trees. I think of Egypt. Mm, the Nile. Mm -hmm. A long time ago, the way mm -hmm. the Nile was at one yes. point in time, yes. it was very lush. Yeah. Lots of green. And it was, it was just so beautiful. That's incredible, Biebs, really. It, yeah. It's incredible imagery. I love the Dakini in there. I have such an affinity for all of that Hindu stuff myself. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's just, it's so deep in me. So, all right. So moving through, through this, I'm curious about, let's get into a little woo. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about otherworldly stuff or other dimensional beings the others have you experienced the others within the dreamscape
yes. But not to the extent where it feels like these beings are so different. I have that sense when I experience them in a waking life, but in the dream, there's a sense of more being comfortable and being home when untoward things happen than like being in the here and now and having something really anomalous happen. In the dream, it just makes more sense. It's a world that I'm, I'm more comfortable in, in, in my dream worlds, actually, come to think of it. So you want to know, uh, even like creatures like, um, when I've been swimming, I meet octopi who are not scary. They're, they're multicolored and very playful. Are they sentient? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're friends. We know each other. We play. And they're like rainbow-hued, but they can change their colors at will. And, you know, I'm going into this, even having a conversation like this, I'm aware of really going into this deep day and getting in contact with the desires I have, I want to go back there and play with this one particular friend. I want to see if he, and I don't know how I know. Some of them don't have, are, are genderless. This is a he. And if he would allow me to play with his coloration and see if I can change it the way he does it for himself. Things like this occur. So there's this really playful aspect. Now, I'm, I haven't had a lot of, you know, nightmares in my life. There's always this sense the dream world is more real. And that's why I want to bring it here. I think we're all missing out on this sensation of... So hard to, as Jerry said, you know, it's the languaging. Um, Just send it to us telepathically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. Well, music goes a long way to uh, describe it, but the sensation of the the gut and the heart being impaled with this sweet connection of joy with others i i yeah that's where art comes in and having to make art to be able to convey that you know i mean even if i were to send this telepathically it would be a thought it's up to you to 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 divine that deep feeling i don't think right I'm... yeah well and then we you know, a thought form then gets translated through others' filters. and it, Exactly, exactly. This yeah. is what makes consciousness so interesting. What is the difference for you between these realms? Like, wh what do you see is the key difference between waking and dreaming? The um, lack of belief in the so-called 
real world and the complete immersion in the reality of the experience in the dream world. That's the difference. Allowance and having to play by, by whatever rules are there and fear in the waking world is a real um, impediment to, there's a sense of play, a sense of wonder, a sense of connection to the ancestors and to the descendants. It's the sense of wonderment, I think, that it would be wonderful if more people could feel that here, now in the waking world. I, w I would like more people to feel that. I really would. It's such a wonderful feeling. And for me, the dream world, my dream world, okay, my dream world is very real and is very precious because there is this absolute sense of freedom, acceptance. Not always, you know, I mean, not always, but it's precious because of that feeling. And it, I remember it, that's how I felt when I was a kid. In the dream, so in the in waking life, this is this is the thing when when I talk about we're all heading towards that one point, no matter what road you take. Right. Yeah. And um, which to me is also birth. Mm -hmm. There so this is one of the things that I see as specific to this uh apparent waking state is that this confrontation with the idea of expiration, one's expiration. And so that always seems to be, whether you're courting it or not, you know, some people just want out. They're not going to kill themselves. Some people do kill themselves, but you know, so a lot of people will just write it out. They just want it to be over. Whether you're one of those people or not, uh, the idea of there's this idea of an ending where in the dreamscape that's a loose loose idea it's a loose idea because we are allowing ourselves cognitively and that's funny talking about the dream world but as we talked about earlier uh contradiction and mm -hmm. paradox is where it's at, baby. So right. the idea of expiration here, I think for me, is the key, the silver key that keeps this construct together, that keeps somehow this sense of apparent realism grounded in, in this harder gravity, gravitational experience we have in waking life. And so why do you think that is, especially since you had to come full, full, fully geared and head on towards your own mortality because of a, a cancer experience and not just being an existential idea where you ponder it and and where it can be something that's just when I'm older, you know, when I'm older, I, I'll die. Do you? 
what's your relationship with that idea of of death in the waking world as opposed to death in the dream world and then your esoteric ideas of death altogether okay it was a pivotal point so for about a week i i i experienced fear fear of not knowing but the experience was so raw and so visceral and so many wondrous and amazing things happened that i it was as if i shed my skin that i was a snake i shed my skin i became something else although that was the first thought oh i am something else no i'm not i'm me hey i'm always me whoa there is no true end so what happens here is that the uh the reality becomes glued according to this construction of beliefs and what i what i find i i I spend time in meditation and i contemplate and i over the years i they're like these little plasmic balls that start out and i can play around with them and and construct them and this is i think people don't understand that this is malleable this reality that it's held together by our agreeing to believe and it comes from fear it comes from the fear of abandonment and the fear of being punished and the fear of not being loved there's so much freedom on the other side of that is it's it's a very rigid construct with hard right angles this is the way i see certain aspects of the third dimension and i don't really want to talk about dimensions because it gets very confusing it's more allowing oneself to really pay attention really pay attention to what's going on take the your attention the um off of what's going on outside of you really pay attention to what's going on inside of you and because as i have done that throughout my life i've made these really really interesting observations it's helped me a lot to the point where i can actually answer you nish and say it's because of this construct and that in itself it's just a construct it's really powerful because it's based on the belief of all of us just look at that in and of itself how powerful that is how powerful we are yeah i i agree i mean we we we've created this (laughs) absolutely absolutely and it's not it is real and it is not real all at once exactly It's, uh, but I think the more, for me, for me, it feels like the more you allow yourself or you open yourself up to anomalous stuff, the more anomalous stuff comes to you, right? And so, and it only takes, it only takes one experience to kind of push you out of a sense of, uh conviction 
you know, it takes that one time to see something in the sky that doesn't fit into any of your stories about how this experience is going and what it is. And I mean, Jerry talks about that. That's how Jerry, that was, that's like Jerry's whole arc. He had an ET experience, you know, basically. And, and now we, today we have the Jerry that we have. Beautiful. Yeah. From, from one experience. So I don't know if it was ET. What was it? Uh, uh, is a craft, wasn't it? A craft in the sky. It was an orb. Yeah. A big one. But it, it changed your whole trajectory. It, I had it something like that. This solidified part, it would be a better word. Expanded you. You were expanded. That's mm. how I, I. This was something I was looking into as, you know, possibly something to research, and it pulled me into it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. There See, you talk go. about a synchro. <laughs> the, the orb didn't pull yeah. me into it. I mean, the experience pulled me into this track. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's You're all it takes. And then the world, uh, then a new world opens up. True. Yes. And after what, almost five years now, it's almost come full circle. So, I, I have my thinking, you know. With that expanded awareness, I've come back to my grounding, let's say, where I was before. And, I don't know. So, it's hard to explain. <laughs> but see, I don't know how that's even possible because it cracks you open and then the world becomes a different place unless you've unless you've deconstructed it enough that it no longer holds that portal energy of ah, now I know what it is and uh I'm back to I'm back to the program, so to speak. Oh, no, it's more like I see what's going on and I know how to avoid it. Back to my program. Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily the program. So, BB, on, on, you know, within this, within this avenue of query, with what's possible in, in the waking up within this waking dream how, how where is that going for you for you where is that going because i know you like to talk about i know you've had these experiences i know you're super open to talking about death or a lot of people are still very uncomfortable with that whole idea mm -hmm. where where is where are you seated right now in your waking reality with all of these ideas of other other realities and this reality uh, well i get an image of myself there's a lot of drama going on with my family and i'm seated rather impartially more often than not which is why I mean, that's a good thing. But I'm also sitting on this mountain because the, the elemental earth spirits are talking to me. So I, I, I'm being called by my, my human family to be, um, 
what would the word be? <laughs> Grounded and uh, strong. To, to be impartial too and watch it all fly around. And there are elemental, I don't know what else to call it. I'm, I'm learning about speaking with the earth and I thought that I was going to be moving. I think I'd, I'd expressed that to you about it when we first met, but Tom and I actually have changed our minds about that. And, and being here is where I see bringing in my dream world to the earth, if it makes any sense, uh, there are, there are our entities and spirits and I do hear them and, and they want, they want to know where we're at, what's going on. And, and I don't want to say much more than that. But I, I have some special relationships and I'm very honored and I have a very tender feeling about that. And listening to Jerry talk about his orb experience, I'm something's happening right now because I had something happen right after we moved into the house. It was quite extraordinary. And I'm thinking that this house and the experiences with the, the spirit of the place is tied to this plasmic uh, craft that it appeared and it was amazing and I can go into the details or not. I don't think that's important. What is important is the sense I received of I am loved, I am seen, and I make a difference. I really got that. So I'm kind of holding ground here yes. <laughs> in, in a kind of a profound way. Yes, I, I definitely get a sense of that with you. And so, okay, so with all of this, do you do you have fears at this point? Yes. I fear for my my eldest daughter. And there but it's not um let me rephrase that. I fiercely defend her spirit here. She's been under major attack. And I've gone to battle. And I've learned a lot about my own strength. And that even if one is feeling that fear, courage is just saying fuck you to that fear. Don't be stupid about it. You know, use your practicality and your wits, but courage does not mean being without fear and i've i've had to experience moving through that courage a few times in the last few years so also one of the things about fear i've noticed is it does ground us to place it it, it it's so visceral that you know think about it in the in the night side dream oh sure when the fear comes up it really just brings you here now and into mm. a different state of lucidity because there's this, uh, you know, I mean, it could be said there's that pump of adrenaline and the hormonal stuff going mm -hmm. on, but it's also speaking to our psychic bodies. And, and so this bleed through between, between realms of being, realms of consciousness mm. and where we're seated 
uh, I mean, you said something important. I'm always me. That is something I completely identify with. And I identify with it in a non, non-ego way. So, because it's not, I'm always me, it's not, I'm always niche. No, I can be in dreams and I can, I can be a toad, you know, and it's still me. And so, uh, that's, that's the thing. So the, the fear serves a very important purpose when you're not mowed down by it. It is, it is a fuel. Perfectly said. And so that that's what I find interesting. And also with you and you had shuffled around thinking you wanted to move and and then reemerged realizing what an amazing place it is you live for various reasons. On your mountain, on that vortex. Uh and then now with all these elements coming together, your daughters and uh just all these elements coming together it's uh i'm getting i'm getting a wholeness picture from you and i'm wondering how that's playing out in your contemporary dreams now i'm i'm having inklings of sitting in circle with elders mhm so it's kind of a I don't know where it's going, but that's happening in fits and starts. And I, I'm, you know, I think that I'm, I want to earn that right. I want to earn that right to sit in the elder circle. Yes. When you think of yourself as dead, what imagery comes up? (sighs) Hummingbird upside down, backwards and inside out. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and then shooting across the the so-called sky like a um, shooting star, being that shooting star. Yes. That's how I'll move, you know. Uh, I don't know, the possibilities, the possibilities. That's what's so delicious about it. It's not just one thing, you know, it's not like being with the gods in the underworld under the earth. No, it's not. I mean, it can be that way if you want it to be that way. And some of that is wonderful. Right. Well, we're, our stories are always swimming around us. And, and because of that, we're always creating them at the same time. It's like, uh, it's like a vacuum in a strange way with our stories and when we let go of the stories and allow ourselves to to realize that I'm just me no matter where I am or what I look like non-ego because the ego is attached to BB uh, right 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 to the the personality yes the personality. The mm-hmm. but there are aspects of the ego which are very very useful Oh, of course. We need yes. it. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. You know, just a matter of staying in the body and, and being alive and paying attention to certain practical fears. You know, something came up that I'm going to share with you. And I think it, it, I'm learning something in this conversation about why my, my dream world is so important to me and why I want to bring that in. So I had this dream 
it was a long time ago. It was before I moved to Los Angeles. It, I dreamt of my cousin about three months after she had passed. She was 42 when she died of cancer. And she was in a maze. She was like Ariadne and she was holding red thread. She gave me the end piece of the thread. She didn't say anything, but I'm understanding now, and this dream has been with me all these years, but I'm understanding something right here, right now, tonight, that she was with, she was in the ancient place. She was with, she was in the ancient future place of wonderment. So she was saying, don't lose this thread. This is, it's good here. So not that, um, how, how, how do I put this? It was a connection and it was also, she was conveying to me, this was a gift that I had imparted to her while she was in her body as my cousin here that I, uh, wonderment has always been important to me. so wonderment you gave me the chills there by the way uh which i love wonderment is a big idea it's a big thought it's a big movement it's like the great wind and uh i can't remember who was talking it might have been guffy who was mm -hmm. talking about when it was it was guffy talking about wind as a friend and mm -hmm. uh wonderment is a portal mm -hmm. don't you think the idea yeah. of it alone and it put it propels us into or out of anything that could be going on and and anything that could be dragging us down if we if we maintain this wonderment uh there's there's always a sense of hope and I think with darks, even though these subjects aren't dark to me, but for in this construct in the Western world, you know, these some of these topics are very dark and macabre and whatever other adjectives people want to throw in. Morbid. Morbid. Right. That that this this thought form of wonderment is is a doorway. And it's the doorway to the tea party. Absolutely. I love that you said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I'm wondering if we have, because we're kind of at that time, I'm wondering if we had any questions. I feel like I, I've been engrossed and I, I uh, although I don't look at the chat, but this has been a very engaging interaction. So I find sometimes with the more engaging interactions people are silent. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm in a state. I'm in a, um, I've gone deep. It's delicious. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is, this, like I said, I'm, we're vibing and I feel it. I definitely feel it. So, but I feel like it's that, that time period where we try to keep this, uh, rat, we try to keep this in, in its little two hour slot. So right. 
if we have questions from the chat, Jer. Let me look. And then, so while Jerry's looking, I'm, I want to get your, your ideas on, so we talked about these in the, in the dream. What are your ideas on, and you've been active in the outer world with this stuff, on the others in the outer world. So the mm -hmm. ETs or Ebens, whatever you want to call them, the Fae, where, where are you with that? I think each of us has our own understanding. I think it's very personal. I think that um, I don't know. I, I, it's possible that the reality is constantly changing. It feels more like a soup of an ocean of plasma, like breathing liquid uh, from the body that we're in now. But inner space is just as vast. So, and what is inner space versus outer space? Exactly. What is this thing? I don't know. <laughs> it, 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 and in a way, I think of the beings and all the beings, and I've had my share of, of pretty benign uh, experiences with contact. Nothing really fearful. Um, but the sense that I come away with is that people are people are people are people, no matter what they look like or where they're from. And I think of people as intelligent beings, not necessarily human beings. And if we could just all understand that we're all just people, <laughs> you know, we all have to grow up. The non-human people and the people. And I think that we do have a lot to share as the human people. Do you think there's a connection between seeing in the waking world, seeing the world around us as sentient? So the the trees, the mushrooms, animals, you know, well, all that's, of yes. Absolutely. That's the feeling of wonder. <laughs> if you're experiencing, you're standing there and you're you're experiencing the shimmer of the light force. Of the of the some people call it divine, some people call it the the you know the shakti, the shakina. If you're experiencing that, you feel it running through your body, and you feel the energy of that, and your hair stands on end. You know how connected it all is. So this is what I want people to feel in their bones, in their in their bodies. I would love. I I want if I could give everybody on earth that experience. I would love to do that. The, it, it, see, that's, that's the, this is a, a great connecting fiber and, or membrane, you know, so with all this and the idea that, and it's great that our collective society is really coming into a, a tune, in tune, or having an atonement moment with the idea that the world around us is somehow sentient. That that the earth is that the 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 dirt is uh, you know for God's sake animals weren't even you know the, the church didn't even sanctify them as having souls until oh recently. Oh my God! I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's absurd as that is. So the the idea that that the world 
is sentient, that everything has an energy and that we're all swimming in it and that beyond our senses, we there's so much more beyond our sensate experience here as humans, mm -hmm. uh, or humanoid at least, that that is, that's the event horizon for us collectively because that's where we're, in my lifetime, I've seen great strides towards that. In my lifetime, animals weren't considered to have souls in my lifetime. And so, you know, and I certainly witnessed that attitude with people, you know, where they could throw kittens in a bag and into the river. You know, you see that on farms. I'm sure it yeah. still goes on, but it was very common practice. And uh, stuff like this, it was just so flippantly ignorant towards other forms of living and when i ponder the idea especially when someone like you was willing to go there with me on on death i can't help but think of the fetus the baby and uh and how we're in this state where we push forward. I feel like we're fetuses and we're pushing forward through that membrane. And it, is this a conscious thing? Is this a, you know, what what is that? I can't disconnect it. It's so connected to me. I'm not talking on a physical level. I'm talking on a metaphysical level. I'm talking on a supernatural level. So this isn't a story about abortion. This is a story about higher consciousness. It has nothing really to do with it any more than than the outer does the inner. But that's, you know, I'll leave that for political discussions. Uh, this is the idea that we're always in this state of pushing through membranes, through development of whatever that magical substance is that plasmic, galactic, lit light within of consciousness is into tunnels that lead us somewhere. <laughs> the birth canal is the death canal, is the river. The birth canal is the river. We're on the river of sticks, it seems like, constantly. You know, something occurs. I read earlier something today that you wrote, you shared Nish, and that was that you see these particles dancing. Yes. Smashing against each other. Yes. I would, it, immediately what I got was you're seeing the elemental consciousness. We're always becoming, we're moving into that and we're moving in and out of breaking these things apart and coming together. And it all comes down to these little pieces of consciousness. And, and they must, it, it, you know, they must be, I, I've always seen it. Whoever I was talking to, this was in our Discord chat for people that mm -hmm. don't right. know. Come in, we have great conversations in there. Uh, this, uh, that person had mentioned they only see it in the daylight. And I have to agree, that's for me too. And it's usually out in open spaces. Uh, so it's not like I can 
see in the house when I'm in here, but I, I usually need sunlight somehow is connected to it. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, when That's I really hone yeah. down on it. That's very interesting. It just, it, what you were describing reminds me, remember when I was sharing a little bit ago when in um, deeper contemplations or meditation, I play with these, they're like little plasmic balls of light that I can put together. I can, they, they, they're, they have the capacity to be um, constructed. They take shape. They will allow themselves to be put together and they allow themselves to they do whatever you tell, whatever I tell them. It's really fun. But to me, what I've come to understand in my experience of them and what I, I was reminded of when I read what you had written earlier is that these are some of the aspects of consciousness we're expanding yes. into. Yes. Well, isn't it the same thing that you had a grandmother that had a humanoid form and now your grandmother is evolved into something kind of mushroom-like? And she's not humanoid anymore. This is the same, the same energy that's transmuted into that. Mm. <laughs> I got I mean, it. This is I your mean. grandmother. She is no longer humanoid. So you see where I'm going. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're, we're becoming, we take on these shapes and forms, but throughout it all, it's this immense, Immense, vast, beginningless, and endless journey of becoming. Yes, absolutely. That's that's exactly where I go with that metaphor of of the membrane and mm -hmm. death and and life and the river. It, it's this when this woman that was very significant to me died. Uh, I don't know. Three years ago, or I don't, I don't know. It was right. not that long ago. Time doesn't bind me, darling. Uh, <laughs> in the dream, in the in the first dream of her after she died, which is a very traumatic, you know, it was a hard. It, her death was hard for me, and uh, it wasn't very. I I I run up against death. Is death is a friend, and so it's not. When I say it was hard, it's not hard in, I think, the common vernacular. Uh, it's just the missing of the physicality. Of course, yeah. She is laughing. And I'm in a basement. And her, there's her, her rigid husk, right? The shell mm -hmm. in which I attach so much psychic energy to. And that everyone who loved her attached all this psychic energy to. And we're holding on to this image of someone we love. And it's, you know, it's this husk. <laughs> it's a husk. Yeah. She, her spirit in there. And so the husk was seated in this chair in the basement with, you know, a big old fireplace. And and people are in there. We're in there. And we're focused on that and in mourning. And there she is. There she is behind it and moving around. And she's laughing. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's great. And, and it was hard for me to discern what she's is she laughing at us 
for having such an attachment towards her her humanoid form that we had all projected onto mm -hmm. and uh or was she laughing at the joke of it all the grander esoteric metaphysical joke of of it all and i think it's it's that i think it's a combo but i think that knowing yeah. her that she was laughing at how limiting it is and my example here which was a true dream is to bring in how limiting this waking dream is because of our collective participation in the perceived rules of the game that's it bottom line <laughs> yeah you got it right there it's so damn limiting but it, grandma's a mushroom <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. amazing amazing yeah it's softening those rigid rules are softening. i i also i'm seeing a lot of change do you, bb do you think that that's part of what this say disclosure movement's about because once we accept this idea that there are other forms of sentience outside of us so we we've accepted a lot of people have accepted that trees have life force running through them dogs have souls cats have souls mm -hmm. certainly the mushroom life do you think that this idea of now giving acceptance to the others which current day is is the et phenomenon you know in past i think it was of course the fey and on and on and do you think that that's what's happening collectively in this kind of as some of the new agers call it the event is are they awakening uh that we're you really want to know <laughs> i want to know i know you are a woo queen like me well i where i sit at right now i really believe that we need to grow up and this concept of disclosure is is just ridiculous disclosure is a personal experience it's got to begin with yourself you've got to be able to recognize yourself in a state of becoming if you don't do that how are you going to recognize it in the outer world <laughs> exactly so true disclosure i see yes i agree with you that it's a matter of coming to an understanding of acceptance of the others okay yes. now the I'd majority also, of people <laughs> go ahead jerry i just wanted to add to it the word disclosure itself is two-part dis which means away from, <laughs> away or away from and closure which means closure <laughs> ending so disclosure is yeah <laughs> that's so perfect yeah because that Isn't underlines it perfect yeah. no one deconstructs these words it's oh so that's great. great that's great uh yeah i love it so honestly i see i've had this sort of come to me in different ways that um it's going to take many generations we're going to get there i mean we're not humanity is not going to be overtaken by the dreaded sentient ai i mean you know it's calling us to wake up it's calling us to pay attention to ourselves it's calling us to get our our heads out of our asses as some people say and, because it's our oversoul you know, right mm -hmm. yes 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 i mean 
uh, you know, we are AI and AI is us. So let's let's take a look at everything. Let's take a look at we've, and it's going to take several generations, but we're going to get there. I've seen it. What's well, self uh, self awareness? And this is is this is the perfect conversation and night for the whole idea of Blade Runner, and mm. you know, oh. with the death of of. Rutger and on which was synchronistically I put it in our, our server he died in 2019 in the film that character I remember that which is very significant I think and of course my conspiratorial mind goes they killed him <laughs> so it would come true you know Jerry but what you know the so we're speaking AI and of course AI is what self is it's it's a self awareness. Well, also too, I could you could look at it that he killed himself this year because that was such a strong soliloquy or monologue or whatever it was at the end of the film. <clears throat> yes, and it affected so many people that it just cemented his death in 2019. I don't know; it could happen. I think yeah. that's exactly what we're talking about the the power of the collective uh thought forms. It's almost like it you know it was or you know there's even the far out idea that it was placed there you know the whole idea that I mean I think we are the aliens. I think we are the AI. AI is self self-consciousness within a unit. <laughs> you know, I'm I mean, totally what there with that. biological yeah. units. And so to ruminate on Roy's death and that powerful soliloquy at the end, uh, which is, I think, one of the most profound moments in, in film to date, still. Like tears and rain. Exactly. What well, created that whole metaphor. And so... I think I read that he ad libbed, he uh, improvised it. I think that's what I heard too, Jer. Makes it, sense. It's chilling. It's chilling. Mm -hmm. But it's a good way to wrap this conversation up because it is, we are them and they are us. And, you know, I am the walrus. Yeah, but not, I don't think all of them are us. No, well, there's the, these are the stories. So yes, there's, there's good, like with cancer back into this in a narrative in this conversation, when we talk on a cellular level, there are malfunctioning cells within the body that are doing different things, depending on the different kinds of cancer, disguising itself so that the immune system, you know, can't, can't, can't go in and kill them. I mean, there's just so many different ways that our systems turn in on on themselves, and and when that happens, we find this idea of termination, and the termination can be something as extremely high vibrational as a new state of awareness, mm -hmm. rather than the ending of something i mean it's just where our perception is on that scale like lucidity can i add something to that bb this is your show <laughs> <laughs> well jerry you said that not all of them are us so when i experienced uh, that's my opinion 
Oh, I get that. I understand. Yeah. And, and I respect that very much. And I, I understand viscerally what you're saying. I, I think the, so, the ones that aren't us are, are toys. Could be. <laughs> Things we've yeah. created to play with or to interact we've with. We've created, us. yeah. yeah. Right. So right. God there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I just want to say that with, the, with that cancer experience, I, the fear that I experienced initially was about seeing these things as other, these invading forces mm -hmm. that were not me, okay? It was when I accepted an expansion and had inner, uh, I told, it was part of it was understanding that my father was still around, that there was this overall connection with the other world that he loved me enough to come and talk to my new boyfriend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that I said to my entire self, the entire biosphere of me, I said, you know what, guys, we are so loved. That was a turning point. Yes. They were no longer the other. They just had to, they, they, they had to get some good nutrition and stop believing in the rules and the lies. And see there, I kind of saw myself as the mom, <laughs> you know, taking care of all the little cells. And when they saw that I was going to kick some ass, they, they, uh, they healed. Yes. What's well, the balance thing? I mean, if we, t if we look at it really in a, in a very, you know, in a very esoteric way or a cultish way, it's all within us. And, and so this, this, biosphere that is is our physical body which is a manifestation of something else and unpack that however you want is balance however it's out of balance however it's expressing itself being out of balance there is an adversary that happens this is a splitting function and and so the shadow the shadow comes right the, the the shadow comes forth and now we have that that story arc that narrative and yet it's part of it's part of the biosphere of us you know aluna ash and jerry had hooked me onto this has talked about this recently with this event experience and it's something i was always deeply onto like the idea that we're a blood vessel a blood cell in a larger body i mean that's how where i was taking it when i was young i'm just yeah. a cell of of plasma moving through some larger organism and so when i think about when i've been out of balance and done like a parasite cleanse right where mm -hmm. right now i'm currently doing just a three-day cleanse with bentonite clay and mm -hmm. uh you know, char carbon, charcoal, activated charcoal. And, uh, you know, just, just trying to not feed or trying to wash out the things that are feeding upon my biosphere. And I, I, I can't help in my meditation, but wonder what is that like for those things that have been thriving on my imbalance that, you know, where they were able to start taking over enough that I was feeling unbalanced. 
and and then my choice therein to say enough i'm gonna i'm washing your asses out this is this is your apocalypse little parasites or whatever you are this is your apocalypse i'm done with you and i'm moving you out and so that on a bigger scale the macrocosmic is is an idea i think that's fruitful to entertain You have such a way with with your wording of these experiences. I'm I'm just swimming in them. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderfully put. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass you, but it's okay. So there's t- too much love in this conversation. <laughs> we love each other. Well, you know, and that was a discussion earlier when Yvonne said, you know, I love BB and I love Nish Cakes too, and you know, we're mm-hmm. having a love fest. Where was this? Well, this was on Twitter. And, uh, and I think that that, and so for younger, more cynical me, that was, I mean, believe it or not, there was a time in my life when I didn't like hearts. I'm the heart queen. I'm the queen of hearts. I heart everyone when I feel it, you know, I throw the hearts out. I have no problem with it. There was a time when I was not the heart queen. (laughs) 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 And that would put me off, (laughs) you know? Like, oh my yeah. God. But yeah. there is there's some sort of turnaround that's happened at some point where pulling this all in. And I realized that, that was when I started realizing how the how our parent universe is made up and that the frequencies and the frequencies are so significant in how we're perceiving the world mm-hmm. around us, how we're perceiving consciousness, that the i and i've i've always been deeply in love with the people i'm in love with my you have to be in love with your friends right How, why are you not around them unless there's an adversarial thing there but i've always just been so deeply in love with my friends and mm-hmm. not in a sexual way just but mm-hmm. madly in love with them and mm-hmm. so i'm more open with it now and i realize the more i push into that narrative that story that in the end, vibration and frequency, the the more I feel vital, the more my actual flesh feels vital, the more I have uh, have an awareness within what's going on internally, because that's what's happening externally. So it's not happy to me anymore, baby. I can tell you I love you, and I mean Mm -hmm. it, and I'm saying it. (laughs) <laughs> same with you jerry and so let the love fest happen honey 1968 baby <laughs> oh wait 69 wait. 69 and that's yeah. where that's where uh ben cw chanter chanters that with his 20-year time loop which is his best series he's ever done his time loop series. well but, I, and, yeah everything yeah. seems to be on a 20-year cycle yeah you know well, 99 1999 where cw changes that's the year my father died and when i got the diagnosis oh this gave me chills because it's the year my momo died she died right past when it turned 2000 but she was Uh, in a coma so chills what an amazing period that was that was because i yeah because it happened at the end of the year for me my father had passed in january of 99 but I didn't get treatment until 2000. So it's all about becoming. 
Yes. So this has been wonderful. What a great pleasure, baby. I I always love our interactions. I love how uh, open and candid you are with any subject. Well, you just bring you. it. Thank you so much. That's uh, really, really a huge compliment coming from you. And I, I want to thank you both. I'm so honored. You know how much I love this show and the content and the conversations really, really add something to the fabric of our reality because it's infused with the real stuff that's coming from inside of us and i had an absolute adventure and a wonderful (laughs) i think one of our goals has always been or one of our the way the way we feel is that we are seeding the cloud yes Uh, yeah 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 i i that is you are yeah getting these conversations out there is seed in the cloud and so the ideas are there people could just tune into the frequency and pick it up thank you by rss or not (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) so thank you for anyone that was participating live with us and bb i will see you around in the ethers as always yes thank you very much and thanks everyone for listening and you can find bb's links in the description and in the show notes and on our discord channel be sure to tune in next week we're going to have jay widener as our guest and that's on tuesday night not wednesday next week so heads up same time i think it's the same. it might be earlier check the schedule I think it's at four jerry for a pacific time i'll look real quick while you're looking though bb it can you you want to plug anything um I'm I'm in that state where it's hard to think I uh, be on the lookout for some new stories. I am working on a couple. One about my grandfather, my grandmother. Grandfather. I can't wait. Your stories are amazing. Your memoir stories are amazing. Thank so, you. Yeah, yeah I highly recommend everyone to check out Bibi's stories she's telling, which are memoirs. Yeah, they're done well. The The voice is just incredible. And Bibi's a really great storyteller. Uh, she, you know, she's a pro. So get up Thank and you. check that out. That's it. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Good night.